I was cruising into retirement three years ago. I just wanted to be left alone. And they won't leave you alone. So you either surrender or you fight back. And, and that kind of feels like the position I've been pushed to. I don't care what happens to the system. I care about the people within it. But I think we've all got our path to kind of choose now. These periods of friction can actually be a, a springboard, really, to kind of transcend it and say, you know, I'm going to grow into a stronger person. I'm going to kind of mature. Maybe this is it. Maybe we're in the hard times now and this is where the stronger men are created. And I suppose the ones that will come out the other side that pass the lessons on are the stronger people. The best thing is like, what you're going to pass on to the next generation that's they can take forward with them. Welcome to the Staying Free Podcast. So we've come to the end of 2023 and I wanted to end the year with another Freedom Roundtable episode. So if you've been following the podcast for a while, then you'll know that at the end of last year, I did something which I called the Freedom Roundtable where I got together a bunch of people who had been guests on the show before and we just went over everything that happened that year and giving our thoughts and perspectives on everything that's going on in the world. Just something very casual and a bit of a reflection on how things have moved on. So I wanted to do another episode this year. So I got together three guys who are very popular in the UK freedom movement. That's Ryan Raleigh, Parallel Mike and Yuri Bezmanov's Ghost. So if you're one of the many new listeners that I've got from the United States and other parts of the world, you might not have heard of these guys, but um, I have done episodes with all of them before, which you can go ahead and check out. And in this episode, we just give our perspective on everything that's happened over the year and everything coming up. Tried to give it a bit of a positive spin, although there has been a lot of craziness happening in 2023. But also for me, it's just about bringing the podcast back to its roots a bit. When I first started this podcast in 2021, it was really just talking to people within the freedom community and getting their ideas and perspectives. So at the end of every year, I just try to touch base with that. So I hope that you guys enjoy the episode. If you do, make sure you give it a like and a share on social media. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, give it a five-star rating on whichever podcast app you're using. If you're new here, do give the pod a subscribe for future episodes. You can support me in a number of ways, including buy me a coffee and Bitcoin tips. You can see the links in the description for those. And you can also support the show on the Fountain app, which is available on iOS and Android. As always, I will quickly read out the boosts I got on the last episode. Piers, once again, 500 sats, says thank you, peace and love. Thank you, Piers. And I got an anonymous boost from user 64891291, who said, interesting discussion. Some people, such as Augustine, saw evil not as a thing, but as goodness lacking or broken or missing. Keep up the good work. Thank you to that anonymous booster. As always, boost, tips, and any other ways that you guys can support me is hugely appreciated. And I also just want to say thank you to all the listeners who have followed me along this journey. Especially this year, I've had a huge increase in the number of listeners, and I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to these conversations, and I hope that you're getting good value from it, and I hope to keep bringing you more in 2024. So have a great Christmas and a happy new year, and I'll see you in the next one. So guys, welcome to the Freedom Roundtable round two. I have a couple of returning guests here in Mike and Yuri Bezmanov's Ghost. That's uh, Parallel Mike from Parallel Assistance Broadcast, Yuri Bezmanov's Ghost, as you'll know from Twitter and from doing his uh, events, which I'm sure we'll get into as well. And we have a new member for this uh, Freedom Roundtable, which is Ryan Raleigh. So uh, welcome, guys. I'll introduce you, you in turn. So Mike, first of all, welcome back. Cheers for having me back, Johnny. It's exciting to do another year. It's amazing. Just a year ago, we was doing this and that year's flown by. So thanks for having me back and nice to see you, Ryan and Yuri. Uh, I don't really get to interact with new people too much. So it's awesome to have a bit of a long stint with two new people where we can chat about some some of the craziness. 
Absolutely, yeah. And uh, Yuri, welcome back again for round two. Yeah, hi, Johnny. It's, uh, it's been a while, hasn't it? When, when did we speak last? Must be probably a year it ago. It will have been so, approximately, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, time flies when the uh, civilization's collapsing around you, doesn't it? Yeah, doesn't it just, doesn't it just. And uh, Ryan, welcome to the Freedom Roundtable round two. Um, how are you going? Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. Listen, last year it was great, and I think it's been a while since we got a check the other day. It was March last year since we've last connected. So yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's cool to have you guys on here. Obviously, it's a different group from last time, but I feel like every everyone's bringing something a bit different to the table. Mike, you've you know you've got a lot in the way of uh, kind of education and uh, educational content and doing things around self sufficiency. Yuri, you're doing a lot in the in terms of community building and running your events which uh i definitely want to see what events are going on uh these days whether you still still doing stuff this year or yeah, doing yeah. A, another still. another winter warmer um just, just and, you just missed it unfortunately oh, did i i think i was out three of weeks ago. Yeah. yeah 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 i didn't make it in time and ryan you're obviously doing uh you know a lot of uh tweeting keeping everyone saying uh saying on twitter and um tweeting about personal development and stuff like that so i feel like everyone's kind of got a little bit of a different thing to to bring to the table so first of all let's just get into the first thing i mean i've got a bunch of topics here but obviously feel free to you know we can just kind of totally go rogue if we want at any point but um just to kind of get things kicked off i'll just go around and just get everyone's general thoughts on on 2023 because uh, you know kind of we've all really connected off the back of everything that happened in 2020 with covid that kind of kicked off uh, this whole freedom movement if we want to call it that uh, which we just kind of had a debate before before starting this about whether that's a good term, but we'll go with it for now. And um, yeah, like here we are in, in 2023. Like I feel like the community, generally speaking, is is still kind of going pretty strong. I mean, the topics have changed, changed, but you know, there's still a lot of great connections that have been made that are still carrying through to today. So uh, Mike, what's your general thoughts about how, how 2023 has progressed in terms of, you know, going on in the world generally, and also just your kind of reflections on the freedom community as well? Yeah, it's been a it's been a long year for me, Johnny. Lots of work, and uh, you know, I try and keep up with what's going on, like as much as I can. But then a lot of my stuff is focused on very specific parts of it. So I like to focus, as you know, on the financial side of things. And there was some really big stuff in regards to that. One of them was this, um, the Great Taking, which was a book released by David Rogers Webb, which was discussing how the elite banking cartels have essentially ensured that when the next financial crisis comes, all of our stocks, bonds, all of the housing with mortgages on it, any factories, farmland, equipment, anything with a loan on it will all get handed off to the secured creditors who are the biggest banking cartels to backstop them and their derivatives. So that was a huge thing for me this year because I was right on the forefront of that one, working on it, actually doing the primary research after having met the guy who wrote the book. So that kept me busy and that kind of drew a lot of attention and I was kind of embroiled in that for a while. So that was good for me, Johnny, because it allowed me to focus on what I enjoy doing, which is research rather than the pantomime, or as we spoke last night on my podcast, The Clown Show. And it is just one giant clown show right now. And I try and avoid all of that stuff. Uh, similar to Ryan, actually. Ryan focuses on his area, which is trying to put out positivity. And uh, that's why I really like Ryan's content because... You know, we can all sit here and talk about the politics all day long. It's getting us nowhere. It's not actually 
contributing anything in my opinion it just keeps us distracted so uh so that was my year very busy uh very enjoyable very tough uh, i'm tired i'm ready for a little break and yeah um enjoyed it but ready for 2024 i think that's going to be a more significant year and i'm sure we'll talk about that later yeah we'll definitely get into that yuri thoughts on 2023 yeah so i think i agree with mike it feels like it's been a long year but at least a lot's happened you know it feels like you know, there's this agenda at the moment, isn't there, of accelerationism. And it does feel like that, that every week and every month and every year seems to be absolutely packed with stuff. And uh, I've made a conscious effort, actually, to try and, you know, drop a few kind of commitments this year. And uh, it's not been as easy as I'd hoped, actually. So I'm still getting involved in things I'd really rather not get involved in. But, um, yeah, personally, it's been a great year, actually. I mean, you know, I started the year with my winter booster, which was a was a great success, and and people ask me that these events. I mean, they're they're a bit more to it than just you know going out and having a few beers and a good time. You know, it's it really is about kind of creating that community. And um, you know, the great upside. I, I was talking to a friend the other night. Um, I've met some truly extraordinary people in the last two three years, um, and my only regret is that I didn't meet them twenty years ago. And uh, and I've tried to sort of one of the things I've tried to do this year is I mean you know the I do the events and they're, they're good fun, but I've tried to sort of think about what do we do that's a bit more kind of constructive in terms of, you know, creating networks and um, sort of communities that can, you know, react to some of the things that are going on. And um, I've sort of, I've put myself in a position work-wise um, where I've got a lot more time um, going into next year. And um, I'm going to have some capacity to, to really, focus on some of the sort of you know groundwork that's about creating resilience and sort of communities locally because I, I I don't know I'd be interested to get Mike's take on it but I think next year could be the year when the shit properly hits the fan okay right I'm definitely going to make a note of that then to talk about how you guys uh think the shit will hit the fan we'll get into that a little bit later but first of all uh Ryan your thoughts on 2023 uh, yeah, it's been a bit of an interesting one. It feels like every week there's a new story out and everyone's going off in different directions, talking about lots of different things going on at once. But personally, I've had a few things going on in personal life, but it's been quite... I'm trying to flip it, as I always do, on the positive spin, like work on the personal development. And then I've also been trying a few little things on the side business-wise, which hopefully will come in, like come good next year and then I can start sharing that because I want to try and show people other ways that they can not just improve themselves like personally and mentally but also like financially as well and I think that's in yeah the, I'm hoping if you reduce some more of the events because I've been that busy I've not been able to make the other ones but I, yeah I think it'd be good we need that community aspect now I think as well for people we need to start building that community for the next couple of years yeah, totally. I've I didn't make it to the other one. I think I've been out of the country literally for every single one of these events. But um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't know whether to say I hope you keep having them, Yuri, because I'm kind of hoping at some point you don't need to have them. But but maybe maybe it's maybe that's just something that we we accept and we just kind of embrace it and just say okay, like the the winter boost is just going to be a thing now and just just keep it going. It's just a, you know a place for like minded people. It would be nice to think that we can do it, you know, in a slightly more um, you know social kind of context mm -hmm. rather than as part of our emergency planning network. Yeah, rather than trying to figure out how to just not get fucked by the state. So 
I, I guess like to- topic number one that I've got to go into and, you know, I don't want people to kind of be yawning for me going, going into this one. Cause I know that, you know, it's, it's kind of a topic that's pretty tired at this point, but I did read today when I was uh, looking through like, you know, what are the biggest stories of the year just to kind of like talk about, get everyone's takes on them. Uh, I saw that the time said one of the biggest stories of this year was the COVID-19 pandemic could be officially over, which I just had to laugh at because, you know, for most of us, it never, you know, for, for us here, it never even began. For the, most of mainstream society, you know, it was maybe over in kind of like early 2022 or late 2021. But time has decided that this is the year. It's It may, it could potentially be officially over. So uh, yeah, ridiculous headline. Um, there is still kind of this, this hangover from it. Um, I'll just give my take first on this. I mean, you know, as much as I think that it's over in terms of like a big story, the thing that's not over for me is that we have not as a society reconciled everything that's happened. You know, society went down an extremely dark path and we've just kind of papered over it and gone, oh yeah, that didn't really happen. You know, there's this kind of like, um, there's this awkwardness there that, I mean, awkwardness is probably not doing it really justice, but there's a scary moment that's happened uh, in history with with COVID where, you know, we had governments doing pretty crazy things, you know, people saying crazy things like, uh, and we're still in the hangover of that. I still don't feel like we've dealt with it. I think, you know, they've tried to do the whole, oh, let's have a have a COVID amnesty. But, you know, as far as I'm concerned, like we we shouldn't let this die, you know, like, okay, I'm not saying we should talk about it all the time and be fixated on it, but, you know, people should, in my view, uh, go to jail over this. I mean, you know, people are dying. I'm glad that I can at least say on, on this podcast now that it's not on YouTube that, you know, we're having all of these vaccine deaths and injuries um, that have happened off off the back of this. And, you know, that's all being being quiet, like the, the, the vaccine injured are not getting the justice that they deserve. So, uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, there is still work to be done here and we still need to kind of like pile on the pressure. And, you know, it's a good thing that people are still talking about these things. Um, Mike, what's your take on where we're up to with with all the COVID stuff now? Yeah, well, I think that that headline, it, the the telling the truth in a sense, in that it's over for them, as in they're actually admitting, oh shit, it's over. We can't pull this one off any longer. So I think when they say it's over, it's almost got a secret meaning for them, which is like it's over for us, not not as in it's over the pandemic, because of course there was no pandemic. Yeah. And um, in terms of like, is it over for us in terms of what you were saying? Like, absolutely not. I mean, the deaths are piling up. There's a huge monumental pile of bodies. How, how do you ever reconcile yourself with that? How do you ever forget what's been done and will continue to be done because of it? It's impossible. It's, it's one of the greatest horrors in human history and it continues to unfold. So it's not over for me, certainly not. And I'll never forget what was done. I'll never forget the people who said what they said. And I don't believe those people have atoned at all. And I don't trust those people, Johnny. <laughs> Anyone that was saying people need to be locked up, put in camps, uh, have themselves shut out at home or have special fines attached to them, whatever, you know, all of that big long list of psychosis that was coming out of these people. Yeah, I'll never forget them. And I don't trust them. And I guess for me, it's just pushed me further and further towards my own destiny in life, which is to be around people who get it, be around people who want to leave the system. I mean, I've got no interest in the system anymore. That was it for me. Uh, I was already on my way out of it, but you know, I don't care what happens to the system. I care about the people within it, but I think we've all got our path to to kind of choose now. And that to me was the big fork in the road in life in general. You either were going to take the route that we've all gone, which is this route of radical personal responsibility and this 
understanding that we have to then start creating our own parallel systems or you said fair enough and you buried your head in the sand now okay there's a few people along the way that have decided to recognize what's being done but i've got to say it's very few in my life there's nobody that i can't name a single person in my family that called me up uh, and i said mike we was wrong mike we should have done x y and z mike yeah we realized not a single one so you know and i've accepted that and that's the great thing about me in terms of yes covid's over for me in that respect that i have accepted what's been done i've accepted how everyone behaved i've accepted all of it uh, and i'm so far down my you own personal path now that uh, it is done for me and I'm moving on to the next one which is getting my family ready my community ready for what comes next and I think we've got a lot yet to come so that's what I'm focusing on yeah that's awesome I think that that's the way is you know like take all these things that are happening and you know rather than just kind of like getting afraid and burying your head in the sand about it like take decisive action you know like I think that's what all of us here have done is we've all just said okay this this thing has happened like I'm not just going to kind of like shy away from it you just need to take action in your life learn from it and then just say okay who are the people i want to spend my time with you know what's my community going to be etc um i'll i'll go over to you on this one uh yuri as you've been someone building um building communities off the, off the back of this where do you think we are with all the covid stuff how do you feel about it now uh, it was fascinating actually i was only yesterday um i saw um i can't think who posted it somebody posted a, a video montage from 2020 would have been the back end of 2020 i think maybe early 2021 of all the usual talking heads in the media and ev everyone was about how, you know, this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated, you know, mm -hmm. we need to treat these people like second class citizens. And, and, yeah. and you look at it back now and you think that can't be real. You know, they can't actually have said those things. And they did. We all know they did. And, um, and as Mike says, like, oh, I'll never forgive these people. Like never. I mean, you mm -hmm. know, they, if they came to me on, on bended knee with a groveling apology, then you might go, yeah, okay, fine. I'll accept that. But, but there's absolutely no sign of that happening. And, and it, it's just like the, the greatest airbrushing exercise in history where there's, there are literally millions of people who just want to pretend the last three years didn't happen. And yeah. Um, yeah. And it, it's interesting now because I find, um, you know, myself, I'm not belligerent about it, but I'm, I'm taking opportunities now to kind of dig when people say things and, you know, about COVID. And I mean, the classic today, I was, I was having a, a, a conversation with somebody about, um, you know, as, as, a, as an unvaccinated person, well, no, let me, let me rephrase that as a non COVID vaccinated person, mm -hmm. I've had pretty much all the other ones that have been going, um, you know, I'm part of probably one of the biggest medical control groups that ever existed and yet nobody is showing any interest at all in studying us as a control group. Yeah. And I think we all know why. It's because the, the evidence will basically demonstrate that, you know, and I, you know, I'll stand to be proven wrong on this, but every single person I know that has, has not had the vaccine, you know, is in pretty, pretty good health. And I know, you know, dozens of people, a lot of my colleagues at work and, and some of my sort of extended family that have, have, seem to be perpetually ill with all sorts of medical complications and things. Um, and the only difference between us, you know, in, in every other respect, and we all know what that difference is. So, so yeah, I mean, I think and, and for me specifically, I think it was a real wake up actually, because um, I'm a real optimist and I've always had, you know, very high regard for my fellow citizens. Um, and, um, 
I can remember back to the Brexit vote. I, I, I remember after the referendum, you know, and it was it was close, I, I grant that. And I, I well, actually, I don't think it was as close as it was ever reported, actually. I've seen some interesting, you know, information that said, actually, the vote was more comprehensive, but that's a whole other issue. But I think what we know now about elections, I think there's a highly good chance that was true. But, um, but at the time, I came out of that very optimistic, thinking, yeah, this is great. You know, people like, People want responsibility, you know, they want accountability, you know, they want to take control of their own destiny. And then COVID hit, and I'm like, Jesus Christ, what happened to people in that that period? Because, you know, people that I thought, you know, highly of, you know, almost overnight turned into like raging, you know, sort of fascists, basically, that even were quite happy for me to be confined to my house and, you know, refused to see me. And in, in one or two cases, you know, got quite aggressive. So, um, so COVID may be over as, as a, you know, reportable media stroke state narrative, but, you know, I'll never forget. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, people got pretty, pretty crazy during that, during that whole time. And, you know, it was like really difficult, but like you said, I, I think I've watched the same, the same video as you did the one that's kind of like a montage of people saying stuff. And at the time, it, the thing is, even at the time, I remember how crazy that was, but yeah. other people would have watched those exact same things and had no response. I think those, there's like two types of people. Some people watched that and was like, okay, well, we're, we're living basically through kind of 1930s Germany again. And other people watched it and were just like, oh, pesky anti-vaxxers, you know, go get them, get at them, you know, that kind of thing. And, you know, we're, we're obviously all in the, in the former camp. Um, but yeah, when you watch it back now, it's, you almost forget how crazy it was. It's like, I haven't become particularly desensitized to it at all, even though that all happened. I, I, I watched those same videos today and I'm, I'm almost more shocked by them now yeah. than I was then. Yeah. yeah. The one thing I would say is I, I, I've got a couple of good friends now that have sort of, you know, both vaccinated and, and, you know, um, kind of, came around halfway through probably. And, um, you know, just they would, and, and I think a huge chunk of the population actually have been abused, you know, their, their good nature and their trust has been abused. And, um, and I think they've come to that, you know, sort of realization now and they're almost, you know, some of the most radical people now because you wow. know, it's like, um, we we all kind of saw it early, so we don't feel abused. We just feel like, you know, we were, you know, attacked, I suppose. But, you know, people that were, you know, did things in good faith and, and now have, have realised that the whole thing was, like, unnecessary, frankly, um, are absolutely raging. Mm -hmm. Ryan, what are, your, what are your thoughts on this topic? Yeah, I think similar is, like, they can't drag the COVID narrative any longer. Because it's, there's too much coming. Like, I think now we're at that tip of the iceberg where you're really seeing the overspill from everything they've done. Like all the money printing that happened, the vaccine injuries and deaths that are coming out now, that's starting to hit the media more or just being captured on certain events. And I think they push that down the line too much that they want to end any talk about it now. Then you can just switch onto other topics and keep that masking over it. But... Yeah, like I said, I think a lot of people feel they have been cheated. And uh, <clears throat> similar to you, I've got like, a few people that are like that where we managed to keep things quite diplomatic between us, even though we disagreed on the whole COVID thing and now they're coming around to the idea. So I think it's, yeah, it's woken a few people up and like I said, 
people started to realise like building these communities and moving away from trust in the government. So I, I don't think it's all a bad thing and I don't think many of us will forget what they did. And like I said, I think it's just one of the things like you you learn from it and then you realise you need to take on more responsibility yourself and do something about it. Otherwise, you, you're just going to get caught in the same trap again. Yeah, think, yeah. And I think it was Ivor Cummings that showed that video the other day. I was just having a quick check because I was pretty sure I showed it. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that was the one. Yeah, yeah. So you, you mentioned something there, actually, Yuri, when you said about um, the vaccines and you said, uh, well, you know, I, I, I haven't taken the COVID vaccine, but the other ones. I'm just interested to know, I guess, from all of you, actually, like whether you're, well, two things. First of all, whether you're sceptical on vaccines generally now has it changed your opinion more generally because it definitely has me i mean i wasn't i i'm not i wouldn't say i'm necessarily an anti-vaxxer or something now but i never used to really have any skepticism towards it whereas now definitely this skepticism i've had from the covid one has spilled out into into other ones so i'm interested to know your your guys views on this i guess i'll start with you yuri um simple answer is yes <laughs> I mean, right i am um, you know it's like all these things you know you you start questioning when when you know, when people start applying aggressive coercion, that's a major red flag. You know, you go, well, hang on a minute. I'm a rational, reasonably intelligent person. You know, I look after my health, you know, and I, I don't take unnecessary risks. So, you know, why why do you need to threaten me to take something? You know, mm-hmm. it's uh, and then, um, you know, I started looking into things like, you know, the, I mean, I remember years ago, well, I've got two kids and they're, they're grown up now, but, you know, we had to get our kids vaccinated, you know, with the MMR vaccine, you know, pretty soon after the whole controversy about the MMR vaccine came out. And, um, you know, we did a lot of research at the time and, and uh, you know, we took the decision at the end of the day to, to get the kids vaccinated because actually, you know, it didn't seem to be, you know, the, the risks looked very low and the benefits looked reasonably good. So on the simple, you know, sort of risk benefit basis we, we went ahead with it and um touch wood you know it seems to you know not create any problems so um but then i started looking into things like the polio vaccine you know and and when you look at the the, the data for that you know the, the the polio was on a massive downward trend before the vaccine was even available and um and like i'd never for example i'd never come across you know um um terrain theory you know until 2020 and then I thought, well, okay, that's interesting. What's that all about? And I kind of intuitively think, well, there must be, there's, there's, there's a lot of sense in that, surely. And, and you know, like, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm nearly 60 now. And, um, you know, I don't take any medication. I eat well. I, you know, exercise, you know, not excessively, but reasonably well. And, um, but it's extraordinary the number of people like contemporaries of mine that are on, you know, multiple medications and things. And, you know, some of that could be bad luck, but some of that is, I think, just, you know, looking for an easy option and, and sort of the, the pharmaceutical industry loves that because you, you know you're ready-made customers because people who aren't prepared to put the work in you know look after their own health and take responsibility are ripe to be sold products you know and, uh, and that kind of it, it's made i mean it's made me just look at the whole pharmaceutical industry and think it's an utterly corrupt industry frankly yeah, I've I've looked into the uh, the terrain theory thing more. I did an episode with with Alex Zeckel a while ago, and I'd heard him actually at the the Greater Reset talking about um, the terrain theory stuff. And when I was at that event, I was like, yeah, there's there's something here. You know, I'm not sure that I'm kind of like all the way in that camp, but I was like, there's definitely something here. And then um, so yeah, I definitely recommend people check out that episode that I did with Alex Zek. 
um, to, if, if they want to know more about the topic because he really articulates it there. Ryan, you a uh, dirty anti-vaxxer these days? Um, I feel like I'm anti anything big pharma at the moment. <laughs> That's kind of the thing. Did big pharma make it? Did they stand to make a profit? Yeah, I'm against it. But yeah, it's made me question everything along them lines. And again, I'd heard of terrain theory a little bit even pre-COVID, but never really looked into it. And then over the last couple of years, I've been looking at it more and I'm like, I feel like there's maybe, like some people are like, you're either terrain or Germans. Like, I feel like there's a bit of a, maybe a bit of both in there. Because mm-hmm. I, I don't Fair know enough. if you know who David Wolf is. I think he... Yes, David Avocado Wolf. Yes, yeah, like, I, I used to follow a lot of his stuff and... Okay. He popped up recently on a Tinfoil Hat podcast again, like I think last year, and that kind of got me jogged back into the whole terrain theory stuff. But yeah, yeah, I, just, I need to check this guy out because I've been recommended him a few times, but I don't know if I've ever ever listened to him. He's been around for years, like because I've always been a like bit of a conspiracy lover. Like, I always like looking into this stuff, but <laughs> I've never real. like been as yeah, but I've never gone as hard obviously as the last few years. But I was always that. I've always been that guy in that group of friends that like seems to know about every conspiracy going. You know, it's it's almost like COVID was the moment where we we were all kind of like down the rabbit hole, just you know peering peering over. But COVID was like the moment where we all just went full head over heels and just fell down it. I feel like a lot of people they they'd gone down conspiracy conspiracy rabbit holes before, but kind of never never quite lost themselves there and lost complete faith in the system. And that was the moment that did it, which. Uh, yeah, that seems to be a common thread. See, I wasn't. That's the funny thing. I was your classic centrist dad, you know. Oh, were and, you? Um, and you know, um, so nine eleven, nothing, Yuri. You didn't. Not really. You didn't. You didn't no, not no, really. I, and what about now? You know, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think what I came to the conclusion, I think, through COVID and just digging, and you know, one of the things that struck me, and it, it occurred to me, just probably halfway through, I'm thinking, it's really weird. We haven't had any terrorism since this all kicked off. <laughs> oh, yeah, ter- terrorism packed up. Yeah, and, terrorism packed up. And I, and I, rem- I just remember You're thinking, uh, yeah, that <laughs> I, I, you know, again, sound like a, you know, I don't I don't necessarily, you know, 9-11, I don't think the state necessarily executes the, the terrorist acts, but what I think they, you know, very willing to do is to to facilitate them by inactivity you know mm-hmm. and uh so yeah. in terms of actively I, could, yeah, I, I think that's it that's probably a about where i am as well like i'm not i'm not full you know controlled demolition that kind of stuff but i i do think like I mean, equally, and we'll get into this, uh, I'm sure I don't want to delve into it too much now, but e- even recently with this with this Israel stuff, it's like the idea that these guys could just basically, you know, so easily commit this attack is, is crazy. I, I think with, as with all these things, if there is a, if there is a benefit to be had from allowing something to happen, that tends to be the way it goes, you know, like uh, the resources get redirected or whatever it is, but yeah. Yeah, it's like a calculated decision, isn't it? I think there's probably quite a lot of that goes on. You know, in yeah. terms of calculated decisions about what might this, you know, create, what might this facilitate, and then, you know, I mean, I think there's there's absolutely no doubt that you know there are people in, within the state that are more than happy to make those sorts of decisions. You know, I mean, yeah, it's uh, so. Um, Mike, so are you going to go two for two on all vaccines being bad and nine eleven inside job? <laughs> 
Yeah, well, I think I might be the other one out here in that uh, I haven't took a pharmaceutical product for 22 years. I've not seen a doctor and not took a pharmaceutical. So, yeah, I was, I mean, I've been an athlete my entire life. And that's why I thought it was so hilarious when COVID came along. You know, I've spent my entire life training six days a week. I was training twice a day for decades and I'm running 100 miles a week on trail, which is about 130 on road. It was like, that was my life. And then I had all these, sorry, I know this well, I had all these uh, slobs coming out and then telling me that I was the one that was causing sickness and illness and going to break the NHS. And I just thought it was absolutely ridiculous. (laughs) So I I was, when all that was happening, I was just laughing my ass off. You know, I don't take pharmaceuticals. I'm, I'm sick. Like everyone else, I get about two days a year, usually two days a year where I get a cold. Uh, so yeah, absolutely against vaccines, against all pharmaceutical products. I think if you can live through those things, your body is designed to fight it off. That's our immune system. So that's what I live by. And, you know, the, in fact, the first pharmaceutical product, you're going to laugh, haven't taken one for 23 years. The first one I took was hydroxychloroquine. I had half a tablet when I got really sick in summer for the first time in my life, sick in summer. Uh, and I was like, well, I bought these because I, I'd researched long before. In fact, I got the hydroxy. And I think I might have told you this before, Johnny, but I was watching this virus kind of spread in China back in 2019. And I started to look into it. And I found all of the South Korean studies from SARS-CoV-1. And I said to my wife, and you know, I'm obviously an investor and I'm watching the markets. So I'm always looking for things that might cause this like tidal wave to come along. And the markets were showing weird signs. We had this really big spike in the repo market in 2019. Then this virus came along. And I said to my wife, I, I said, I've never seen anything like this. Like the news on this one just keeps coming and coming out of China. And I was like, I just can't figure it out. But there's something happening in the financial markets too. So I looked at these studies for SARS-CoV-1 and found out about hydroxychloroquine that it was effective. So I said to my wife, I said, well, oh, well, you know, I'll get us some just in case because the government might be lying to us one way or another. This was before they'd even set out, by the way, in the UK. But I said, maybe they're lying to us and they don't want us to know there's a deadly virus coming. So I bought us some. Uh, however, when I went to the pharmaceutical shop, uh, you couldn't get it. And this was an overcount of the medicine. Now, this was in February 2020. And they'd recalled every, the entire European stock of hydroxy had been recalled in February. You know, this was months before they locked people down and admitted to it. So that's when I got really freaked out. And I said to my wife, something weird's happening. I said, that's not normal. So I ended up finding a place in Germany that would uh, send me. It took me about three days. So when when it all kicked off and I realized it was a scam, uh, I knew there was something going around because people were getting ill. So when I got ill in the summer, I did take half a hydroxy. And that was the first time I took a ph- pharmaceutical product in 23 years. And uh, I was fine the next day. Yeah, I got really ill one day, took it overnight and was fine the next day. So you could say that, yeah, I'm two for two for sure, Johnny. September the 11th was what actually woke me up when I was a teenager. Uh, I went down all the conspiracy rabbit holes back then and it literally informed my entire life, my career, uh, everything. So yeah, COVID for me was uh, something I'd been expecting my entire life. So when it happened... I said to my wife, it's, it's go time. We need to get out of the country, mm. get to our farm. And uh, yeah, it was, a, I, I, it was a little bit different for me, I guess, in that I was expecting something like that long before it happened. 
Interesting. Yeah. You, you, you're always early on stuff, Mike. Like I can't believe that you were taking, you were, you were looking for hydroxychloroquine before anyone had even heard of it in like, uh, in the summer of 2019. By the way, I'm interested to know, did you, you said that you've seen this weird stuff going on in the financial market. Did you, uh, did you manage to protect your, your, fi- your finances from the crash? Did you take, were you kind of early on that train as well? You were like, this is, this is going down or, or did you, or did you stay in the market? 100%. We was, I went completely out of the markets in, uh, it was about November 2019. So when COVID hit, we was completely safe and never saw any of it. And then at the bottom, <clears throat> at the bottom, I bought, uh, I bought some things right at the bottom and we made a lot of profit in the next like two or three months just as that liquidity came back. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, yeah, mm. I'm completely out of the markets now for anyone that wants to know. So uh, I think the next few months we're going to see something really nasty. But that's, that's just my right. take. I'm not trying to scare anyone. But as it got to some of this year, I always want to be early. And uh, I, I always said from the start of this year, I said, winter's the time when it's probably going to come. So I'm getting out in summer to try and be like early on that one. Oh, you're saying that you, you see something coming down the line now? Like imminent, yeah. Any 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 okay, any right. time now. It could be over the next month or so. But it's- yeah. Like it's it, this has got all the all the signs of another two thousand and nine, but possibly worse for me. You know, if you look at some of the, you must see this, Mike. Some of the, I mean, I was reading about some of the, you know, um, people, you know, um, missing mortgage payments and things in the states and credit credit card debt, you know, missing credit card payments and and I, there was a great chart I saw the other day on U.S. debt and like I mean the do- the dollar is basically utterly done, isn't it? It's, it's you know done as a cur- as a as a reserve currency. Well, actually, let's get onto that topic because that's that was the next one. Well, it wasn't the next one, but we can skip uh, we can skip a couple and get to it because it's an interesting one and we've touched on it now. So, uh, yeah, I, I had this down: debt, um, the economy, and also the BRICS because I know that's something that you talk a lot about, um, Mike. So, yeah, I guess like first of all, where are we up to? Uh, with everything with the economy because we all of us i think have at various times predicted like it's you know the economy is just totally screwed and we've kind of seen bad signs in the economy but somehow things keep ticking over i know that um jc i don't know i know you um you follow jc right i'm not sure whether mike and yuri do but jc on twitter he's always saying like Everyone says that the the economy's tanked, but you know, every time I go out, like the cafes are all full, the restaurants are all full. And, you know, he has a point. Like it's it seems that despite all of this inflation and all of this supposed uh, you know, crisis, people are still going out, they're still spending all this money. It doesn't seem to have actually hit in the real world. It's like everyone's still living somehow on this fake economy, which somehow just keeps keeps on chugging. So uh, I'll start with you on this one, Ryan. Where where do you think we're up to with like economic issues? Um <clears throat> If I had to predict, I can't predict because I'm not as well invested as Mike is. That's why I listen to his stuff when I can. But it's been pretty obvious something's coming. I don't even think it's... I think 2008 is going to seem like nothing compared to what's coming. Just this sheer amount of volume of money printed and then the debt building up. And then especially like with other nations that are going to take ahead. I think some nations will come out all right. I think a lot of the Western nations are going to struggle more than any. But... Just to go on the point that you mentioned with JC, it is interesting. Like if you look back at like previous times where like financial assets when people retail spending does actually go up just before the it kicks in, it seems, but it's usually on right. lower to mid-end products. So you might people stop spending on the bigger stuff like a new car, 
holidays, new house, but because they still want that's like a psychological thing, they still want to treat themselves. So they so you will see that retail spending go up even though like especially gambling and stuff as well. So yeah. That's probably one way to look at it. Why they might see people out there shopping and stuff, but it's quite a common trend that when I've looked back at past things, I think around was it the seventies there was a crash around then for a short while, and that was like a study then and before two thousand eight as well, similar stuff. All right, yeah, I I didn't know that happened, but yeah, that that kind of makes sense. So Yuri, what do you think um, economic wise? Well, I mean, you could argue that actually a lot of damage has already been done. You know, we've had two years now of double-digit inflation and um, you know anyone who's got savings and um, in, uh, sort of investments has already seen the, the value of that wiped by sort of 25% cumulatively and you know cost of living I mean I, I talk to people and even people that are sort of you know relatively well you know well financed sort of thing uh, you can't help but notice it I mean you know uh, I went out we had a little gathering the other night just a few of us went out on uh, Sunday night and um, you know you can't go out for a meal now if there's two people you can't go out for a, a you know even a sort of a, a reasonably modest meal for less than you know 60 70 quid really you know I mean mm-hmm. you go to Miller and Carter there's a sort of benchmark I mean I've never been to one actually but you know just a, a regular steak in a Miller and Carter steakhouse is 35 quid and then you've got extras on top of that and and you think like you know, that's you throw in a bottle of wine, you're going to do a hundred quid between two of you without, you know, breaking sweat. And like people can't afford to do that, you know, for, for very long. And um, I think um, I was going to say, uh, th- there just has to be consequences, you know. Well, I, I say that the, the thing that I've been shocked at in a way is that I'm amazed that the sort of existing, you know, fiat system is, is still managing to carry on. Um, and that we haven't actually hit hyperinflation yet, I mean, but maybe that's around the corner. I mean, that may be it. Um, and you just kind of, it feels like we're defying the laws of physics at the moment to some extent. And um, you could only do that for so long, I think. And uh, that's that's the big question for me in 2024. Do we see the great unwinding in 2024 when that all really hits? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I was looking before this conversation and um it was i mean i don't know what the actual official inflation figures are the unofficial inflation figure is 10 percent. i think uh, sorry the official i think is 10 percent. i don't know what the unofficial is so i mean i think it's like way more than that just in just in my experience even just coming back here to the uk like one year's gone by and i'm like things seem to have gone up to me like 30 percent, maybe like it seems much yeah. more realistic i'm not sure what the exact figure that sounds is. about right yeah i'd say that and just while I'm doing stats as well, I was looking at the uh, the national UK debt is now this number. I actually don't even know what the number is anymore. I think it's one billion eight hundred eleven. Oh no, one trillion eight hundred eleven million three hundred fifty nine thousand eight hundred ninety. It's the number is so big I can't even read the number at this point. Um, the US the US uh, debt clock is even more. I think that's thirty three. I guess it's 33 trillion. I mean, these numbers are just absolutely staggering. Mike, like you look at these numbers and study them and, you know, I've I've looked into all this stuff. So like, can you put into perspective, like, you know, the debt situation, the inflation situation, and just kind of, you know, because I think that people fail to see the actual like historical parallels here of like exactly 
like just how bad it is because people just go, okay, well, it's all right. You know, I can still go to the shops and buy things for now. But when you look at the figures, like it's kind of a mathematical certainty that we're in a like crazy, crazy dangerous uh, position. So what's, what's your take, Mike? Yeah, well, we've never escaped what we've uh, arrived at now. You know, it's impossible to escape it because the debt, um, the money that we use or the currency, should I say, that we use has got debt attached to it. And of course, at some point that debt, becomes so unmanageable you can't tax it you know you can't get enough tax receipts for it you can't grow your way way out of it and over the past 15 years all the growth has just come from debt however the difference is it used to be for every dollar that they printed you'd get maybe 60 cents worth of growth now it's like for every dollar you're getting a couple of cents you know so they can't even print the way out of this so we're getting to that point where there's a reckoning. And you mentioned inflation. In the UK, you're right, it was about 30% unofficially. And the reason why we get this official number is because they have changed all of the metrics and they always do these things called hedonistic adjustments, which is where essentially they'll say, Yuri, you used to buy those 100% sausage meat. Well, now it's uh, in the basket. Instead of measuring the 100% sausage meat sausages, we're measuring hot dogs. And then it's dog food, you know, and they just keep changing it. So they say everything's everything's just cheap, everything's just fine, but they've changed what's in the basket. And over the past few decades, they've added a lot of technology into that. So as, as technology's got cheaper, they were saying, look, you're all getting richer and the inflation's low. So it's all of these adjustments, the cooking the books is what I'm saying. Uh, but if you use the metrics that they were using in the 1970s, which is where we had our highest inflation over the past like 60 years, we actually surpassed that in 2021 and 2022, we actually surpassed it. Now, once you get over 50% inflation, you are 70% likely to go on to hyperinflation. So if you've hit 30% and that was just in the first wave of mega printing, what do you think it's going to be when they come back around next year and have to print it all again? But even more, we'll hit that 50%, I can guarantee it. Now, they won't tell you that. They'll say, oh, it's 15%. <laughs> You'll get 15% or 14%. Uh, but it's actually even worse than that because the problem we've got is the whole system is hyper fragile. It's so interconnected that you can have one bank fail now and the whole system would come down if they didn't rush to the rescue. But when they rush to the rescue, they're trying to keep like a dying patient alive. So all they're going to do is flood the system with liquidity again. And that will now just raise that inflation even higher and then they've got to raise interest rates. But every time you raise interest rates, it blows up the derivatives complex because the debt market pretty much rules everything. So as you raise interest rates, all of these banks and different uh, hedge funds and all these pension funds that have these interest-sensitive bonds and government debt, it destroys their portfolio. So this year, for example, in pensions, over the past two years, some pension funds in the UK have lost 40%. I mean... Yuri, you said that you're 60, so you're on your way to retirement. How would you feel about losing 40, 50% of your pension's value in two years? That's your entire life's work. I mean, what would that do to your retirement in this inflationary well, environment? It's interesting, actually, because, like, I, I'm, you know, notionally at least, you know, pretty well provided for in terms of pension. But equally, I mean, the one thing we did, we paid, we paid the mortgage off last year. I got zero debt. Um, well, actually, ironically, I'm thinking that's perhaps not such a good idea. What I really should do is go out and get loads of debt um, and join the join the party, as it were. Um, but I, I'm, I'm, and I wouldn't want to sort of say this too loudly, but I'm, I'm almost reconciled to the fact that you know half of that money could disappear overnight. 
Mm-hmm. And the only saving grace is that I'll still have more left than half the population, you know, just by being prudent. And, you know, I, I, one of the things I did, I, I took some cash out of my pension as soon as I could um, 18 months, two years ago, you know, put it into some hard assets because, you know, <laughs> at the end of the day, if you can put your arm, if you can put your arms around it, it's got some value, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I'll, I'll get to the hard assets thing in, in a second, actually, because I want to touch on touch on gold. But you mentioned there um, about like just taking out a load of debt, and I actually, in my very first conversation with Mike, I said this. I was just like, "Why don't we all just go and take out, you know, just max out as much debt as we can, <laughs> and just and just buy stuff with it?" Because the worst case scenario is you just declare yourself bankrupt. I mean, the way that <laughs> the, the way that I see, I mean, it's not necessarily. I'm not necessarily saying that is the worst case scenario i'm kind of uh i guess there obviously are bad things that can happen from that but you know you could you could theorize that you could say you know what's the worst if you've got no money for instance you have no assets anyway you, you might as well just say well well why, why don't you take more debt out because the thing is in this fiat kind of ponzi we live in they've created the situation they've created the circumstance where this thing called debt exists it doesn't exist in the real world it's it's a fabrication um, you know, designed to keep us enslaved. And there's a part of me that's just like, this is a tool that they've kind of provided us. Why don't we just use it against them? You know, I, maybe the, maybe that's a, a poor way there's to a, think, think about There is a problem with things, that, but... Johnny, in that what, what they have actually done is the derivatives complex. And for people that don't understand derivatives who are listening, a derivative is basically where I could say, for example, to Ryan, uh, Ryan, I bet that the price of gold's going to go up and Ryan says, well, I think it's going to go down. So we say, okay, deal. We've made a deal on that and we've put a bet on it. Now, neither me nor Ryan actually own the underlying collateral. So we don't own any gold. We're just making a bet off it. That's called a derivative. It's a really simple way of looking at it. Well, there's two to four quadrillion in derivatives. And to put that into context, the global GDP today is about 100 trillion. So they've created a derivatives complex, and this is all of the major banks in the world. So all of the banks where we actually deposit our money have made two to four quadrillion in bets with each other. And every one of those bets has to have a loser. So that's why the system is untenable. But here's the rub of it all. All of that debt that we are taking out when we're getting our mortgages, when we're taking on loans, when we're buying assets uh, that have... Uh, loans attached to them, all the ends attached to them. They have actually put up all of that as collateral for these derivatives. And what that means is that when the next financial crisis happens, if you have a mortgage on your house, that that house gets handed off to the biggest banks. Now, as far as you're concerned, you, you're still in the same position. However, now that means that there's a select few select few banks that are going to own all the assets. So if you want to know how the great reset happens and you will own nothing and be happy, that's it. In the next crisis, it will just scoop up all the assets. But here's the really crazy bit that people don't understand. It's not just the assets that the banks hold. It's also all of our pension funds. It's also all of your stock portfolios. All of that's included too. Now, the problem there is they really will own everything. You'll have like a select group of maybe five, six banks that own I don't know, 80, 90% of the world's assets. So that's why the debt problems, I mean, that's why I would say stay out of debt and do your very best to get out of your mortgage. So I'd downsize, I would do anything not to have that happen to me because who knows what they say at that point, Johnny, they could say to you, well, you know, now you've got to have a migrant staying in your back room because, you know, the climate change is bringing them all across or whatever lies they give, they can control you if you're in debt. Now, what you said about 
that if it's unsecured, okay, well, if it's unsecured, that's their problem, not your problem. It's your problem until the system comes down. But at that point, I think there'll be so much litigation involved. Uh, I, I think that they would have to do a cyber attack. That's the only way they'll be able to get rid of all the litigation that would ensue if the financial system collapses. So I think that would be the time where they do a cyber attack personally because I can't see any other way of getting through that reset. I mean, that monetary reset, that has to happen, right? We've seen it happen thousands of times mm. in history where countries have hyperinflated. It just so happens we're living through a period where it's the entire global economy that has to be reset. So I think that, uh, that's yeah. the interesting thing, though, isn't it? I think in that, like, we, we, we've seen this in the past. It's been isolated to specific countries, but pretty much the entire globe now is on the hook, aren't they? Because even if, like, you know, whether you, you know, take China or, you know, I mean, I was reading some stuff, and I don't know enough about it, but, you know, reading some stuff the other day about China in terms of, you know, they've had this massive property bubble and, um, there's some, a couple of banks have gone belly up, I understand, and, and stuff like that. And, uh, um, you know, they're still, um, you know, they're utterly dependent on the US market, for example, in terms of, you know, their manufacturing base. So if if the US can't buy anything, then the Chinese suffer just as much as anyone. I, I, don't, I don't know, that's kind of my... I mean, they've got an yeah. internal market, but it won't sustain the capacity they've created. Uh-huh. I mean, they've effectively become the world's primary manufacturing center and um I, I, a good friend of mine um got involved in a business he had a, well, it was his own business and he's like a family business and they got involved in a joint venture with a chinese company and i remember he, he went over there to visit they they um uh, agreed to build a factory out in china making um, products for the automotive industry and my, my buddy went out there, he said, I could not believe how big it was, you know, because we have a sort of a perspective here of like a big factory in the UK would be, you know, 50,000, 100,000 square feet. You know, that's a big factory to, in most, you know, sort of. And um, he said it was, I think he said it was 150,000 square feet. But like the things they make are quite small. <laughs> and it's, it was like 10 times the size of this factory they had in the UK. And they hadn't even started producing, and there were already about thirty people working there. It was just mad, utterly mad. And um, they, you know, once they got up and running, you know, they were they were supplying a lot of the product into the you know the Chinese market. Um, but it was on a scale that he, he struggled to comprehend initially. You know, so that's great when you're on the upward slope. You know, when you taking out capacity when you're on the downward slope is is pretty hard going. So. Yeah, I, I, I still don't know exactly where things are going with the whole China thing because some days I'm like, well, it's just very clear they're going to become the world's hegemon. But then other days it doesn't seem so so clear. And, you know, we're hearing a lot about the crash of the Chinese economy at the moment. So actually, Mike, what do you think about that? Because, you you know, given all, all the study you've done into the BRICS and stuff, what's your take on what we kind of hear quite often now in the mainstream about China's economy being you know on the downfall or them having having these these issues with sustaining it yeah i think it's already happened i think what we're seeing is the transition from west to east and i think it's been happening for my entire lifetime if i look back from like a ten thousand foot view you know as they moved all the capital base across there the manufacturing base and then we saw china's uh gdp rise and the americans then they reach this parity so so you know the trajectory is clear 
And what you're always saying is right, is like, you know, China's having a lot of issues as well. So I think we're going to go through this period of a interconnected global financial crisis. But on the other side of that, I think China's set itself up for the next, you know, to have that accumulation cycle and Asia in general, you know, that's where we're going to have this huge accumulation cycle. And you can see all of the banking oligarchies, they're already shifting all their attention across there. They're shifting all of their manufacturing base and the big corpos. They're all focusing on the uh, Asian market. So I think what you're going to see in the West is something like the Soviet Union, but a bit more sophisticated where you have, America's going to retain a lot of power, but it's going to be kind of managing poverty across its own little country and all of the European nations are going to manage their poverty and it'll be like subsistence living. So you'll still have these like rich oligarchs and elites and it's not just going to drop off the face of a cliff, but I think you'll have a huge drop in the standard of living. And I think China will just recover. I mean, they've set up themselves up with like 40, 50,000 tons of gold. They're creating the Belt and Road Initiative. That's well underway. So I think we're just going to see like a 10, 15 year period of real hardship everywhere. But then after that, I think, you know, America's going to be done for. Once it loses the reserve currency, what does it have? All it's got is a military and it's using its military now. So it's kind of like the British Empire towards the end where it had two world wars and it still lost its position. I think America's in that period now where it's going to it's going to war itself out because it's going to use the fiat monetary system that it's still in control of to print the money for the wars. But the moment that Ponzi scheme comes down, what what does America have left? You know, all it's got is its military. But I think it will have such substantial problems back home with internal conflict that it will have to retreat from Europe, from Ukraine, from all other proxies. Uh, but I think they're trying to speed it up so they can use it whilst they've got it. And that's that means it's destabilizing everything. We're all in this destabilized world. And I think all of this political... All of the political chaos, all of the social disorder, the pandemics and all of this mega crisis that we're seeing, it's just all a symptom of the underlying problem, which is the financial collapse that's coming and all of it's interlinked. You know, every time a crisis comes along, they get to print a lot more money. Uh, for example, mm -hmm. just before uh, just before get the in incidents in Israel, where you had the supposed terrorism and all that, you know, let's not get into it, but... Whatever happened there, the bond yields in America were spiking just before that, which were indicative of more destabilization in the markets, that something was coming. And then the moment that happened, they actually went down. They actually went down. So it stabilized the markets. Now, how is that? How did a war stabilize markets? Well, that's the topsy-turvy, upside-down inversion world that we live in, that when crisis comes along, it gives them an excuse to uh, print money or to lower interest rates. So the markets respond to crisis well. And that's the big problem is that we're going to see more crisis as this system becomes more and more destabilized and on the brink of collapse. The crisis actually helps it. You know, it actually helps it kick the can down the road another six months, another three months. Uh, and that is why I expect lots of crisis ongoing because, I mean, right now the market should be collapsing because they've been drawing liquidity out all year. So why hasn't it? Every time they've done this over the past 15 years, the market started to collapse. So I would say that there's probably a hidden hand there, secret liquidity in the markets, but that can only sustain it for so long. At some point, they're going to have to come back with like a, a flood of money, a flood of liquidity, like they did in 2020, where they printed 40% of all dollars in existence. This time, they're going to have to do that again. They're going to have to double that probably this time. So, you know, all they're doing now, in my opinion, is just kind of maintaining. But at some point, they need to do that. But I think a, a big crisis has to precede it because otherwise people will say, well, 
whoa, we've got 50% inflation now and you guys did this. However, if there's a crisis, what they can say is, oh, we saved you. We had to print the money just like with COVID. We had to save you. We, you know, we, there was a deadly pandemic and we gave you all of this money. We gave you stimmy checks. Uh, and I think that's what they're going to have to do this time. They're going to have to give us a crisis and then give us a money print. And of course, all that will go into the debt markets, but some of it will trickle down to people and they'll think that they've been saved again. Uh, I mean... Maybe they won't. Maybe maybe they'll figure it out. That's my hope. But otherwise, I just expect 2024 to be one of those years, one of those big, big years in the markets, I think. Right. Okay. Okay. And we kind of touched on it on it here, then it's probably a good time to move on to this topic, which is which is the, the war, or now it's the wars. Last year when we did the, the Freedom Roundtable, which it was just one, the Which war. one are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, well, we got two now. And, you know, maybe in a year's time, we'll, we'll have another one to add into the mix with Taiwan. But for now, it's Russia, Ukraine, Israel, Palestine. I'll, I'll go over to you uh, on this one, Ryan. What do you think, um, you know, what do you think the situation is now? in terms of these these kind of conflicts i guess both from the perspective of like what's happening really in the world and also like its effect on the freedom community and stuff because i know you're really well tapped into the community online and, and things like that and what people are thinking like personally i've seen it being quite a dividing issue especially israel palestine much more so than uh russia ukraine so just interested to get your take on all that uh, yeah, there was a, like there was a few when Russia Ukraine kicked off, but I was quite surprised that they just didn't question it. They was all like, "Oh, we need to stop Russia," but there weren't too many people like that. And then, as time's gone, everyone's got bored of it. Obviously, uh, it's all kicked off with Palestine and Israel. And then I think that has been the big divider, especially with like mm. the American commentators and right wingers. It seems to be the one subject that hardly anyone is willing to stand up against Israel, especially when they're in America. Like, RFK Jr. is like, he seems to tick everyone's boxes. As soon as Israel gets mentioned, like, no, fully stand with Israel. Same with the new Argentinian president. He's all behind Israel. Like, no one seems to question anything when it's to do with Israel, despite a number of questions that need to be asked about what happened. One on that day, two where they treat things in the past and multiple things. There's clearly a lot going on there. It's clear a lot of lies being told and people with ulterior motives, but yes, it's it's a very divisive issue with that. And I also find it quite funny that like everyone's just completely forgotten about Ukraine at this point. And like just let Russia kind of roll through, even though now they're saying that they should be having peace talks, even though that was on the table at the start, but it all got stopped to let the tanks roll through. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like nobody really is talking about about that anymore like the the ukraine flags have kind of just been like slowly disappearing and you know like for a while was kind of i guess replaced by israel flags but there's also a lot of support for palestine and yeah i, I would agree like it seems to be like a, just a very very divisive issue and you, you can't you can't seem to it's like everyone wants you to take a, a like firm position rather than just saying okay let's just not kill innocent people and you know i've i've had kind of like spats on on twitter with people who you know i really respected i really respected like during the whole covid thing like, i won't kind of like name and shame but you know there's one person in particular that i had you know um like kind of these uh these arguments with on twitter who just kind of basically was making out as if anyone who's who condemns uh israel for their attacks on gaza for these kind of very very you know seemingly um 
I guess just with a lot of collateral damage, you know, we're not talking about very targeted attacks. It's not, it's not as if the, the, the Israeli military in an area the size of Gaza, that you couldn't carry out a very targeted military operation. But it seems to me to be kind of like very, um, with no regard whatsoever to kind of civilians being killed. But when you kind of condemn that, these people who are very supportive of um, of Israel, they'll say, oh, well, why aren't you, ta- why aren't you talking about uh, the, the Hamas attack? It's like, well, the Hamas attack isn't happening right now. Hamas are not in Israel right now killing innocent civilians. Yes, that happened. And of course you can condemn it. But you condemn the thing that's in front of you. You condemn, you know, what the the atrocity that's happening in front of you. I'm going to fire over to to Yuri on this one. Yuri, what do you think about this whole um, conflict that's going on, and how have you, how you've seen it affect affect uh, the, the community and and divisions, etc. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, you just I covered it initially from a sort of a you know humanitarian standpoint. I mean, I, I, the, the the big problem for me is the fact that we've had three years now, three nearly four years actually, of being utterly gaslit by the media and sort of, you know, you know, our own governments that lie to us on a daily basis. And so I treat pretty much everything I see now, you know, in the media as untrustworthy. Hmm. And um, so to try and kind of, you know, make any valid judgments, I mean, there's, there's, I don't think there's any doubt that Hamas are psychopathic, you know, monsters. Um, But, it's like I was trying to make the point to somebody that, you know, you know, we have a conservative government that's doing some pretty awful things, well, conservative in name only, I would say, but, you know, doing tons and tons of awful things that, you know, somebody outside the UK would say, well, you know, you must agree with them because it's your government. And it's like, no, I want I want them destroyed, you know, sort of thing. So and mm. it, I, I don't know enough about the, the whole you know, conflict other than that. I'm old enough. I can remember going back to Camp David when Yasser Arafat and um, who it would have been at the time. I can't think now. Um, um, I think it was, was it Clinton that um, sort of initiated that? And they were very close to the point of agreeing a two-state deal. And then mysteriously, Yasser Arafat said he couldn't sign, he couldn't agree to it. And, um, and the whole thing just fell apart. You know, that's probably the closest they ever got to a two-state solution. And ever since then, it's just been carnage, frankly. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I mean, I do. I think Ryan made the point. The thing I do find bizarre is that you know, it, it's pretty clear if you go back to Ukraine. You know, and I, I haven't forgotten about Ukraine. I still try and keep tabs of what's going on. I mean, it seems pretty clear to me that you know NATO has been given a bloody nose. Um, that, um, I mean, the Russians have proved it ironically and sort of, you know, more than one occasion now that actually lots of reasonably capable kit will typically always be not much very high-tech kit because the thing with the high-tech Gucci kit is that it takes a lot of effort to keep it, you know, keep it going. And it's fantastic when it's working, but, you know, they don't have enough of it and they, you know, the resources it needs to, to keep things moving are enormous and so if you've got um you know relatively i mean not necessarily basic but you know functional equipment and what the russians have got for for example they 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 massively outgun the west in terms of artillery you know that was one of their kind of strategic decisions that they made and um that's proved you know to be very effective um so 
it strikes me that the reality is is that the Russians have probably achieved what they wanted to achieve in Ukraine. You know, you can effectively draw a new border, you know, from Crimea up around the Donbass region. And, you know, the idea that the Ukraine are going to retake that, I think, is probably for the birds, frankly. And the fact that the, the, the international community, by and large, has moved on. I mean, you know, America is, is now, you know, taking its focus on that and is f- focusing everything on, you know, Israel and Iran. I was looking yeah, just yesterday, they were showing some sort of some of the US fleet build up in the Gulf and in that region, um, you know, and, and there's always the issue with, with military facilities. When you put a lot of it in one location with hostile forces, the chances of something happening are pretty high, you know, so you kind of feel like, you know, that, and the, there just seems to be enough, you know, hawks within the US administration that, you know, everything's done remotely, you know, huge firepower, I've always said that, that the only thing that would change American sort of, you know, philosophy on sort of is, is when, you know, missiles start hitting Washington, you know, because they've never, apart from, you know, Pearl Harbor, they've never suffered, you know, any kind of direct attack, you know, so they don't have that perspective on what, what it costs to actually be at war. Whereas mm-hmm. if, you, if you ask people in, you know, the Middle East or Ukraine that have been at the coalface, you know, they'll have a very different take on it, so... So that's a very long way of saying, I don't bloody know. Okay. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Well, Mike, you're, you know, pretty close to one of these conflicts. I know we discussed it a little bit on your, your podcast yesterday, but um, what do you think about, I guess, both of the, the conflicts that are ongoing and where they could go and what's happening with it all? Yeah, I think these were just, these are just preludes to what they're planning to do. So, you know, I, I can't lay out exactly what they're planning to do, but yeah, I think we've just seen the start of it. You know, everything in the first part of this decade is building us up towards some kind of crescendo, and I think it's going to be, um, it's going to be extremely chaotic. There's going to be the financial system. Uh, there's probably going to be nonlinear warfare that will directly affect us. So it will be things like cyber attacks. There will certainly be a kinetic element as well, but where that's located, we don't know. Will it spread out in towards? towards, say, Western Europe, it could do. It seems like Poland is certainly on the front line of NATO now, and there's a lot of military investment happening directly in Poland as we speak. So, you know, it's certainly not over. I think it's just respite. I think it's one of those, you know, people think, oh, Ukraine's over. But what was Ukraine? To me, it was just the weakener for Russia. What did the U.S. do? You know, the U.S. has not expended any men. It's expended Ukrainian men, but they've got a whole host of other men in Poland, Lithuania, Estonia, Czech Republic, Latvia. <laughs> you know, do you think that the U.S. are not going to expend as many bodies as they uh, feasibly can? And the military-industrial complex isn't going to be licking their chops at the prospect. So I, I think that's what Ukraine was about. It was about getting the entirety of Europe on a war footing getting the public invested, which I think they've failed on. <laughs> I think they've failed big time. However, you know, let's imagine something happens in Europe unexpected and reignites a passion for all. I mean, we've seen it all before, right? So I think, yeah, we're at the, I think we certainly shouldn't take our eye off all of that stuff. My experience, I've traveled around the world a lot, and you know, been to lots of different places. And actually, most people just want to like live their life, you know, bring up their families you know, do the sort of the basic things, you know. And um, the only time people stop being like that is when they're pushed into positions 
where they have to react. And certainly in my experience, I mean, you know, I was cruising into retirement three years ago. And, um, you know, after the last few years, I'm now seeing the rest of my life as being one of active kind of political engagement or not necessarily political, you know, but like, I just want it to be left alone. <laughs> like, and they won't leave you alone. So you either, you either kind of surrender or you fight back. And, and that, that kind of feels like the position I've been pushed to. So, you know, without having, I've never been to, never been to Gaza, but I've got a couple of, you know, my good contacts that have, and, you know, they described it as an open air prison camp. Well, you never hear it described like that, you know, in the media, do you generally? It's, it's kind of, so. Yeah. Yeah. And, you're right. Like everyone is expected to take an opinion on it and, and to have a, you know, to take a side. And this is kind of what I think has been disappointing about some of the people who were strong allies in like during the whole COVID thing is that all of a sudden they're saying, well, no, like you have to have this, this strong opinion. And I just think, well, all we have to do is have, we don't have to have uh, take a side because people are doing evil things on both sides. You, what you have to do is just have a set of principles which are consistent. That That's ultimately what we should be doing here. And the people who are like very adamantly pro-Israel, and I do respect a lot of these people, you know, for their opinions on other things, but they will, they'll make one point on one hand and say, you know, Hamas's attack, that justifies the, the war in Gaza. You know, that attack there, it justifies what's happening. It justifies any number of civilians being killed because it's so evil. And if you say that, you know, if you say, well, these attacks are, are bad and that, you know, Israel should have kind of, should so, show some level of kind of temperance in the situation, that it's like you're you're justifying Hamas or you're, you're excusing them. But the same people, when you talk about historical occupation of essentially Israel in the Palestinian land, um, they will say, oh, well, that, you know, you can't talk about that. That doesn't justify Hamas's attack. So, you know, either something that happened in the past does or does not justify a current event. And I would say, well, it doesn't. You just take every event that's in front of you and you just say, like, is this or is this not evil? It's wrong to say, look, um, this attack that's happened justifies the war in Gaza, but historical occupation doesn't justify the, the Hamas attack. I mean, I think it's all wrong. You know, like killing civilians is wrong. You know, terrorism is wrong. And, you know, so is a war which has obvious collateral damage. Now, you could say, well, a war that's going on in Israel like this, um, you know, is going to have these um, civilian casualties and it's just a fact. But, you know, for those civilians who are getting killed, it's not just a fact. You know, like your your intentions might be... Um, you know, might be better than a terrorist who just wants to go and commit these things. But the result is the same. People are dying. Innocent people are dying. And I think that, you know, for us as people who have been fighting so much for individual freedom, so for, you know, like um, individual rights, et cetera, like during this whole COVID thing, I think that we just need to be able to say, no, it's all wrong. Like, it, you know, like to, to take that approach and not be forced into a, into a position, basically. Because, uh, you know, I, I think it is a shame to see the the freedom community kind of like um, beginning to splinter from this. I think that's part of the point with everything that they do. They're all, they're all, I don't think they really care if you choose side A or side B, really. I think what they care about is that you choose a side. They don't want anyone to be in the middle ground. I think you actually get the most mm -hmm. backlash if you are in the middle. You know, if you, for example, was vehemently pro-Palestine, at least you'd fit into the box. Or if you was vehemently pro-Israel, you'd fit into the box. But they don't want people outside the box because that's where the things 
happen that they don't well, that they really don't want like for example anti-war sentiment you know i can do a lot with angry mm-hmm. people but i can't do a lot with people who don't want any war i can't do a lot with people who are pro um pro freedom of choice when it comes to injections you know if you're anti-vax mm-hmm. if you're completely against it then i can do something with that i can radicalize you i can say that you're a conspiracy theorist if you're pro-vaccine i can put you in that camp but they don't want people in the middle because that's dialogue and that actually brings people together because I'm just like you. If people say, what do I think about Israel and uh, Palestine? It's like, I just think it's abhorrent. I just think waking up and seeing videos of dead people on Twitter every day and dead children is awful. Like, what kind of world are we living mm-hmm. in? Well, that's my, mo- yeah. you know, if I go on to what's meant to be a social media platform, that's what I get fed constantly. It just, it, it's, a, it's such an awful thing to be normalizing, you know, to be normalizing that this is our daily kind of feed. Uh, so yeah, but I think, I think that's part of it. I think they really want you to take a side. Uh, and if you don't, I think you're a bigger enemy than, you know, you might say, people might think that is that if you chose, for example, to spot Palestine, you're the enemy. I don't think you are. I think you're the enemy if you don't take any side. Yeah. There's that classic, um, there's a classic meme, isn't there? That, uh, you've got the, the king up on the balcony of the castle saying, you know, we don't have to fight the people with the pitchforks and the people with the, the bow and arrows, we have to persuade the people with the pitchforks that the people with the bows and arrows are trying to take their pitchforks. You know, <laughs> I think I've had this conversation a lot with people. It's like, and it's a really disappointing, you know, I, I probably, you know, almost every day where people seem to need or are steered towards making binary choices. And actually, I always remember there's a great line in that um, there was a Jack Ryan film with Harrison Ford, um, Clear and Present Danger, that one. And there's a line in that when he says, you know, the world is grey, Jack. And, you know, because they're looking to make one of these kind of good guy, bad guy decisions. And um, one of the protagonists said, like, you know, it ain't that clear. And it's true, isn't it? I mean, if you, you know, if you look at what's going on in, in Gaza, I mean, there's just nothing good happening. Is there, you know, because I mean, Israel can't win that war. They they can exterminate every person in Gaza, and all they do is create the next war in the process, because mm-hmm. half the Middle East then will want to, you know, kick off against Israel. You have to somehow, and I don't know what the answer is, but you have to de-escalate, or the because if you don't if you don't de-escalate, your only option is utter destruction, you know, and and even then it's like, you know. It that does feel really a bit works. unbalanced when you see it, though. You know, when the videos come out, it's like, uh, I mean, even the videos that you see kind of coming out from the, the pro-Israel crowd, it's like th- these are very high-tech military, uh, I mean, these are very high-tech military force. They're extremely well-equipped. Yeah. And yeah. I haven't seen anything like that from the other side. So it, it's really hard to understand why you would have to be so forceful Um across so many civilians like, i i just don't understand it like un- unless it was you know something else but i don't want to speculate too much on it but it just feels whenever you see the footage it's like why why are they so like forceful and brutal if it's more of a operation to kind of take out some terrorists like it feels like there's a lot of collateral damage involved in this yeah yeah, yeah it seems strange that you know we've we've seen more like awful kind of death and destruction in Gaza, which is, you know, a relatively small area against an incredibly 
um, well-equipped military force than we have when it comes to Russia and Ukraine. And in Russia and Ukraine, I've not seen any anything like that level of death and destruction. And that's supposedly two modern armies um, at war with each other. So yeah, it does seem kind of like very, very um, unbalanced. And there just seems to be a lack of regard for life there. It seems to be, and you know, I know that people are propagandized on, on both sides of this conflict, but there seems to be just a general um, kind of lack of regard for civilian life that just, you know, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's terrible to see, but, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully things get better, but I, I, yeah, I think that I, I'm in agreement with you guys. I just don't see the the solution for it. As you said, even if even if Gaza, even if Israel completely leveled Gaza, you've you've got basically an entire Muslim world which is against the very existence of Israel. And I'm just not sure how that um resolves itself, unfortunately. Let's uh, you've only, I was just gonna say you've only got to look at the number of people that have been on the streets in London. You know, that yes. give you an indicator, isn't it? You know. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I said this on Mike's uh, pod yesterday, actually, like the there's so many people who are radicalized even in the West because, you know, we've had yeah. such a lot of um, like immigration into into the West. And these people are very, very radicalized on this topic. So, um, you know, that could it could escalate like globally. It's not necessarily just going to be um, kind of re restricted to the Middle East. No. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. I'm just going to move uh, move swiftly onto another topic. But Yuri, how are you doing for time? Are you sticking with us a little longer? Or? Another ten minutes. All right. Let me know, and I'll uh, I'll um, give you the opportunity to uh, to say your goodbyes. Uh, yeah. The next one I was going to move on to actually is um, it's kind of social media generally. I think you touched on it by talking about the algorithms there in terms of um, you know kind of being fed this stuff, which you know definitely being fed kind of like a lot of doom stuff i know you said yesterday mike that you were still getting fed a lot of like doom doom and gloom on your timeline i haven't noticed it particularly get any worse um but i guess like more generally like how's things looking with the in terms of online media and you know decentralized technology and this kind of stuff like are we are we bullish on it do we think that elon's doing good things or is that just gonna is it a temporary thing or is it going in a worse direction ryan let's get your thoughts on this one first of all um, I think on the surface, Twitter's better than it was. Looks like it's going in the right direction, but it's got Elon running it, who I wouldn't trust as far as I can throw him because he's got heavy <laughs> ties with like government contracts and all that kind of technology with the brain chips. And then there's certain things about family lineage I've seen with him as well. And yeah, I wouldn't trust him, but I think the platforms may be slightly better. I'm seeing more positive stuff, but I don't know if that's. I've started curating, like, purposely responding yeah. to certain people and following, and I feel like that does influence the algorithm as well. So that kind of helps. Like, I think, is it... I'm not sure if you've had him on your show, but is it Gareth Martin? I'm sure that's all connected by listening to yes. him in one of your pods. That was when I first got to him, and he mm -hmm. put a tweet out this morning that I think his first five things he's seen was all positive messages, and I think it was... I think three out of the five have been off your show as well, so you must be connecting with the right people. Oh, nice. I think it was Adam Brimson and um, uh, Jordan, or the Canadian sports psychologist guy. Jordan Goldsmith? That's, yeah, he's just been on yes, mic. that's I the think. one. Yeah, and yeah, so I think people, I'm seeing people are trying to push more down that way, but I don't know if it's just the people I'm connecting with. But I, yeah, don't trust x as a platform for the long term yeah you, you know i've still been using minds which seems to be 
getting better and they seem to be doing more. I just I don't think the uptake's there, whether more people will pick it up as it goes mm-hmm. along. I don't know. But I've, if I had to pick one platform over the next, it'd probably be mine. So there seems to be quite a few good people on there. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, Jordan, Jordan Goldstein. Sorry, I think I said Goldsmith. I, I want to get that right. Man, I'm so terrible at remembering people's <laughs> names. Um, Mike, what do you think uh, has been the, the situation on, on social? Yeah, you know, I don't use it too much, Johnny. So I kind of use my Twitter just for sharing uh, content. And occasionally I get to interact with people that I like. So uh, I try and stay off it. But I've got to say, mine's been pretty macabre and dark. I don't know why. But whenever I go on, even if it's just stuck on, I mean, for a long time I had it on that kind of open one where they had suggestions. Then I figured out I can just look at my followers' tweets. But even then, like, I found that a lot of stuff was still getting through because, I don't know, maybe they liked it. So lots of videos to do with this war in Israel. Uh, yeah, and just, mm. just genuinely don't like it. You know, I get a lot of videos of violence, and I'm somebody who's against violence of all forms. I don't like to see it. Um, yeah, so I try I try and avoid Twitter, to be honest. And uh, like Ryan said, I don't I don't trust Elon at all. I mean, this idea that he has bought the big one of the biggest social media platforms in the world and is somehow not controlled by the same people who control the politicians is a bit naive to me. I think that he's there to be a heroic figure for the right and he occasionally says mm-hmm. something that gets people excited. But I kind of put him in the same camp, I guess, as uh, Donald Trump. And uh, I don't know. I mean, there's a few people that, that say cool stuff, like Tucker Carlson. I don't mind listening to him. But again, you know, they're all kind of of a similar, similar type to me. And I don't really trust anyone like that because I don't need to. You know, if someone says something interesting, I'll take it. But for me, Elon was just never interesting anyways. I don't I don't understand kind of the excitement around him besides that hero worship aspect, which I think some people really like. Yeah. I think Elon, for me, he's like the he's like America's kind of Pierce Morgan, like but maybe like just a bit more maybe maybe a bit more on the right it, like Piers Morgan's the kind of person who he just says whatever's going to appeal to the majority of people like he he just goes with whatever that take is and some of his takes are completely conflicting or whatever but he just wants to be kind of popular and just wants to appeal to his base and I think Elon's similar like he will just do and say I mean th- this whole thing that you know he's been spent his entire life doing this whole oh you know like I'm against um you know I'm going to stop climate change and we're going to all have electric cars and solar panels and all the rest of it but he's on this big thing about saying we should all have as many kids as possible and that we need to repopulate the world and it's like well you know pick one I mean I know I'm not even I'm not even necessarily saying which you you should pick but those ideas seem contradictory to me but I think what he's done is you know he's appealed to he wants to appeal to the kind of the the technological people the people who are kind of maybe a bit more left-leaning keep them on side with the electric cars and and the solar panels but then he doesn't want to kind of you know go full uh i guess you know maybe like whatever you call it, like anti-natalist or whatever and say like we should we should stop having having kids because that's going to get rid of another part of his base so he kind of has these ideas which seem somewhat conflicting to me but the whole point of it is just to keep as many people on on, on side as possible just to to appeal to a kind of broad base and to you know he he seems to be one of these few people who actually is kind of um on that divide not on the dividing line but he's he's within those two camps like there are like a lot of people do like him because of what he's doing with the electric cars and all this kind of stuff but then he also wants to have that that you know pro free free speech people and if he starts talking about you know depopulating the world he's going to lose them so yeah it seems a little bit um like inconsistent to me to to put it lightly 
Uh, looks like Mike just dropped out, but I'll um, throw it over to you, Yuri, on that point, and then I'll uh, give you a bit of a. I'll give you a, a couple of final questions before you exit. Go on then. Um, yeah, a bit like Mike, I think. I mean, I, I I love Twitter. I mean, I'm I'm very open about my you know sort of um, you know affection for Twitter because I think it's a fantastic platform, and you know what it's done for me, it's facilitated me meeting some absolutely extraordinary people now, i wouldn't be here chatting with you guys now if it wasn't for twitter so you know let's, let's be grateful for what it's created and yeah it's like anything it you know it's a tool and and one of the things i think i've, I've managed to do over the years is there are very few things that i get emotionally invested in you know is like twitter being one like i love it and you know i think i'd miss it if it disappeared overnight um but you know, it's not going to be the end of the world, you know, sort of thing. Something else will pop up and, you know, specifically I've made a very sort of concerted effort to, to get, you know, phone numbers and addresses and email addresses from people I, you know, want to keep in touch with. So, um, you know, we can we can still communicate if we need to because the reality is, is, I mean, although I've got, you know, fairly significant following on there, I probably only interact with a couple of hundred people regularly. You know, so I don't know what all the others are doing, actually. I think they're just stalking me or something. But, um, and um, so, yeah, I mean, and I, you know, I mean, I, I cancelled, I, I um, deactivated my Facebook account 18 months ago. And I, I occasionally dip in just to have a look. And, and you know, I used to spend a lot of time on Facebook. And um, it's surprising, actually, once you wean yourself off it, you don't miss it. And um, I, I dip in occasionally because I've just got family on there and, and I go, oh my god, this is just dismal. <laughs> like I can't like quick look and jump out again. Um, so I mean, I think you know, social media is uh, uh, it's, it's like it's like anything. It can be you know used for good or ill, really. And um, I, I get huge positives out of it, sort of thing. So, um, and I, I, in a way, I've been sort of disappointed that there hasn't been more innovation. You know, some of the alternatives, and I, I guess that's partly to do with the power of big tech, you know, where they've sort of all the emerging products um, have all been, you know, almost, you know, sort of killed at birth almost by, by you know, the sort of the dominance of Twitter and Google and people like that. Um, so I think, um, you know, it's kind of become like just part of life really these days, you know, and it's if you go back, you know, People never used to have electricity. You know, people wouldn't have known what to do with it, you know, 150 years ago. Imagine, you know, living without electricity now. Um, you can, it's possible, but given the choice, you wouldn't, would you? So yeah, it's, it's yeah. a bit like social media. And I, I, I said somebody the other day, actually, I don't watch any, very rarely watch any, you know, uh, media news. So um, Twitter is my main news source. And it's quite funny, yeah. actually, because that... that People think, oh, you, yeah, some bloke on Twitter told you this, did he? I said, no, some, you know, eminent scientist on Twitter actually posted a link to a, a research report, which I read. You know, that's my news. And, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, anyway. But yeah, well, I, I mean, don't have to done... answer the question. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah <laughs> it, it did. Yeah, you, I mean, you've done great on there. And it's, you know, you've you've kind of been a very key, key person in the community. A lot of people know you, or at least they know the the pseudonymous you and uh you know you're doing events and all this kind of stuff which is which is awesome so uh, myself next year maybe are, are you thinking about it i think it's i mean I don't, I don't actually keep it very well hidden do i i mean 
But yeah, I mean, now you're doing events. I guess it's hard to it's hard yeah. to remain. Like if you want to know I am, just buy a ticket. You could come and say hello. You know. So. Okay, there you go. Mi six. There's your there's your option. Um, so before you go, actually, you know what? I'll do. Let's do the um, do the rounds on this one because I was going to ask everyone at the end, but since you got a drop, Yuri, we'll do it early. Who's the clown of the year? Clown of the year for 2023. Clown of the year. Clown of the year. Do you want me to come clown back to you? Do you last? Cool. Yeah. Do me last. Okay. Ryan, we'll start with you. I'm gonna go for it. Was a toss up between Jordan Peterson and Piers Morgan, but I'm gonna go with Piers Morgan. I think he's contradicted himself that many times. Got, and I think the other day with the phone hackings, he just topped it for me as well. That he's like big quizzed over all that again, and it just make him a massive hypocrite. If it comes out, he knew everything about it, which I think he will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, nice, good, pick. good pick, strong pick. Uh, definitely will be in my will be my top five, Mike. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with the Argentinian president Javier Millet. I think he. I thought he's you would. A bit, he's a clown by nature, you know. He's been very theatrical, and uh, a lot of the things that he's done are actually very clown-like. He's got a real, real persona crafted there, but I do think it's a bit of a persona. I think it's a character that he's playing. So. Yeah, I think he he's my number one, Johnny. You know, those photo ops with him with a chainsaw and smacking a pinata, ripping things off a wall. <laughs> so he's my clown of the year. Mm. Well, there's all these pictures of, of him and every time you search him on any news site, it's always like a ridiculously close-up photo. You know, it's cropped somewhere between like the eyebrows and the lips and he's kind of just pulling an angry face. He looks like he's just injected like a lifetime's worth of you know, like uh, steroids or something. Yeah. Uh, it's very weird how he's being portrayed, but I'm kind of like, is, you know, I don't know which way the PSYOP is. It's like, is the PSYOP meant to be to get to trust him or are they actually, you know, doing a kind of Trump with him where, you know, you make all these pictures and, and stuff, make him out to be some kind of a crazy man. As I said <laughs> to yesterday, Mike, I'm not fully made my mind upon it yet, but I I totally uh, think that it very well could be, um, you know, do we do I use the word controlled opposition? Yeah. I'm going to do it. Controlled opposition, potentially. Um, Yuri, clown of the year. Yeah, go on. I'm going to go for something a, a little bit left field and you know slightly under the radar. But Andrew Bailey, governor of the Bank of England, because mm, okay. he's supposed to know what he's doing, and he's he's as big a clown as any of them. Okay, nice. My my clown of the year. I think I've been tossing this one up. Actually, I didn't have an answer before doing this, but. In 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 last year's um, in last year's Freedom Roundtable, do you remember what? Do you remember who Nat went for? She went for she went for um, Matt Hancock, and her reason was because he'd gone on this. Uh, oh, what's it called? This this fucking show. I, I forget the name of it now. The I miss yeah whatever that one is. So my, I think I'm going to go for Nigel Farage on this one because he went on it this year, didn't he? And yeah. I and I saw. Nigel Farage had done some kind of a, a thing. I think it was on the, I don't know if it was on the tube or something. He got a big billboard saying like, vote for me on, on, you know, I'm a celebrity or whatever. And I was like, where, why not do a, a billboard for something that, you know, like people actually care about? Why not do a billboard yeah. saying, you know, support my right to, uh, you know, freedom of choice when it comes to vaccines or something like if I just thought like, what a ridiculous thing to do. You're a politician. You're supposed to be out there um you know caring about issues like caring deeply like for me 
if someone gave me the opportunity to put something on a billboard, like voting myself in some stupid like TV show would be very, very far down the list. There's a lot of things I'd like to put on that billboard before that. Um, just, yeah, he's, he's the yeah, clown good, for me. Good, for sure. good, good, good call that one, Johnny, I think, actually. Yeah. It's All right, just, Yuri. Um, I yeah, will, anyway, uh, again, it's been an absolute pleasure. Do you want to let people know where they can find you before you drop? Uh, <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> but if you want to find me on Twitter, it's at uh, at Hotel Lubyanka on Twitter. Um, or if you're interested, I'm if you look, look, look it up on Twitter or it'll be on Eventbrite, I'm doing a uh, Yuri's Big Gloucester Giggle on the 23rd of March, which will be a fantastic, you know, um, you know, libertarian comedy night and uh, shenanigans. And, um, and I might be doing some other stuff next year as well. So, you know, keep, 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 keep an eye on what I'm up to. Awesome. Real quick, what is Hotel Lubyanka? I've, I've ah, noticed that's well, your handle, but I don't know what it is. It's a, it's a rather ironic um, sort of post. The, the Lubyanka building was actually the KGB prison in Moscow. <laughs> ah, okay, okay. okay. So, it's another, so it's another Yuri it's, referenced. Well, it was, it was kind of the Yuri thing kind of, yeah, started off with the Yuri thing. And then I thought, what, what would be a, a sort of a an ironic take on, you know, modern society in this free, you know, Western democracy we live in, you know, oh yeah, I know. It's, it's a kind of an analogy of like, you know, where we think we live in this free society, but we don't really. So Hotel Lubyanka, you know, oh, welcome to the Hotel Lubyanka. You know, you can check in, but you can never leave as they say. So, uh, oh, okay. okay. Seemed funny cool. at the time. <laughs> yeah, so, no, no. It, it, so, it makes, it's still funny today, Yuri. It's still funny today. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much uh, for, for coming Always back on. Um, appreciate you sharing your and, thoughts. Uh, yeah, take care. Have, have, a, have, a, have a very happy Christmas all. And um, let's uh, keep our fingers crossed for 2024. Yeah. I think we might yeah. need it. Have a good one, Yuri. Yeah. Have a good Christmas, Yuri. Have a good one, Yuri. Yep. Yeah. Cheers, guys. See ya. All right. So there were three. Um, actually, that's uh, that's a good opportunity, actually, to, to go into something uh, different. I want to go into into happier stuff because we've kind of just been like down in the weeds with, uh, you know, psyops and all the rest of it and controlled opposition. So let's talk about some some nicer things. Let's talk about things where we've been. First of all, what have you guys kind of achieved this year? I probably should have done this one at the start. I know you did with me, uh, Mike. But what have you been your kind of like main things you've worked worked towards this year, like in, in your in your lives, I guess, like personally and, um, you know, in terms of like careers or projects you're you're involved in or yeah all the rest of it i guess we'll start start with you first of all ryan yeah i've been doing quite a bit like i said first obviously i don't go into much on twitter about personal life but like a few struggles but it's been like in a way kind of a good thing to like test myself because it's kind of proven like a lot of the mental resolve i've been building up the last few years has paid off i think and nice yeah and i just like been continuing that work of self-development and then trying to also trying like different things out like like occasionally I post like about the Wim Hof breathing and the cold showers and ice baths that I've been trying out and like just trying all that kind of stuff. And then, like I said, I, I did have a little small business on the side one which didn't work out, but then I spun another one up recently and it's just like learning and trying then different things to try and like then hopefully give that information out to other people once I've worked through it. And I think that's just be working on myself but then to a point where I can then like share that with other people and hopefully then they can use that information going forward as well yeah for sure do, do you feel like that everything that happened over the past few years I guess since like since 2020 and having to kind of go through that and I think all of us felt that all of us felt that 
um, you know, that kind of really strong pull, you know, the kind of the current of society was like dragging us in one direction and we're all just saying, no, we're like, we're going to resist. Do you feel like that has kind of spilled out into other areas of your life and allowed you to have, you know, more resolve and more like strength to deal with like personal struggles? I think, yeah, 100%. Because I said, I've always been like into the conspiracy space and like, you know, this is kind of good, but then um, this was like before I'd really realised how many people out there could see what was going on. And I was forced this like really, really tiny percentage of people that were in that space. And it turned out to be more once the whole COVID thing kicked off, which was quite a surprise. And then it then kind of, then you think, well, these things can come up in the future. So you start working on yourself and, right, how can I live the life I want to live outside of this system that is clearly not built to help me? It's built to do everything against me. So you start working yeah. towards that. Yeah. I think that's, that, that is like what it's about, honestly. For me, that's the biggest thing. Because aside from all of the minutiae of everything that's happened, like the the individual events the main thing is like, how do we kind of like channel this in our own lives in our communities? And, you know, I think like, well, definitely you guys have done that and you like inspire people and stuff, which is awesome. So Mike, same, same question for you. What, what have you been your kind of like biggest, I guess, successes this year or the things you've worked on and the things that you've, um, yeah, kind of developed in your own life? Yeah, I think probably for me, Johnny, the biggest success this year was just kind of keeping all the plates spinning. That was a job at times and uh, definitely my podcast. I really enjoy making those episodes. I get to speak to quite a lot of uh, different people, a diverse audience rather than just financial. So that's been really exciting because ultimately I think, you know, when we talk about things like, you know, we've spoken the first part about some of the things that are going wrong. We spoke about the financial markets and things like this. But ultimately, I think that's all just, you know, it's not going to be what we look back on when we're old and gray. We're going to look back on our relationships, our communities, uh, what we did with our families. So I think having the opportunity on the podcast to speak to people from all different areas to do with natural health or people like yourself who are doing something to do with freedom, uh, yeah, I think that for me has been really rewarding. Those are the kind of conversations that I truly want. I think the financial side's good. It's good to try and increase our wealth to give us more protection from some of these uh, difficult looking periods that we're going to all have to live through. But ultimately, you know, what, what, what do we need that money for? I mean, you just, you, you know, I don't crave money. What I crave is like more meaningful experiences. So that's what I'm looking for. And I think making those relationships and connections this year has been probably the best thing that I did. Yeah, yeah, I, I would totally agree. I mean, I think that, like you said, every, everything has happened. Yes, you can you can kind of protect yourself against against it. Yes, you can kind of go down these rabbit holes saying, how do I make myself more, um, you know, self-sustainable or, or whatever it is, or how do I sort out my finances? And all of that is a part of it. But I think at the other end of that, it's not, it's not just a goal in and, in and of itself. The goal is like, how do I learn? How do I develop? How do I become kind of more resilient? And I think that through all of this, it's like, I, I really do believe that, um, that idea that hard times create strong men, but you have to be willing to actually kind of like take upon yourself that responsibility and just say, okay, like, what am I going to do? Like, how am I going to deal with these, these struggles that I'm having? Like, do I, am I going to compromise on my values? I think that's one, been a big one for me is you know i guess in a lot of ways 
we always compromise on our values all the time. There's always small things that we do. There's always things that we maybe should say to someone that we don't say or possibly things that we shouldn't say to someone that we do say or whatever it is. And I think that when you go through something like um, COVID where you've really kind of got a gun to your head and you know, society's saying go one way and you're saying, I don't want to go that way, I want to go another, it kind of forces you to come into a bit of a conversation with yourself and to kind of like really meditate on what are my beliefs and am I willing to suffer for my beliefs? I think that's been a, a big one for me is like, am I willing to suffer for what I actually believe in? And, um, you know, I think that a lot of people maybe aren't willing to, to kind of walk that path and go on that journey. But I think that if you are willing to do it, you can grow beyond it. You can really kind of grow as an individual and kind of achieve and transcend in your life. You know, these periods of friction can actually be a, a springboard really to, to totally um, kind of transcend it and say, you know, I'm going to grow into a stronger person. I'm going to kind of mature, you know. I um I don't know I, I've, I've mentioned a few times so I, I do bang on about it so if people are thinking oh man stop talking about this then I apologize but I had a conversation like quite early on of doing this podcast um with Joel Rafidi and he was talking about how you know we needed this kind of collective rite of passage to go through as a say we needed a, a moment where we could actually where we kind of went into it collectively which was a, a collective struggle essentially because we're not going on these individual struggles in the same way we used to we're not having these individual rites of passage that we should be having to kind of turn from boys to men to turn from you know girls to women uh, perhaps it is the situation we've kind of like avoided that we avoid struggle in our lives and eventually if you try to avoid struggle for too long it comes on this macro level you avoid the micro struggles and then you know one day you find yourself into a situation that you know you know you've got to uh to kind of overcome and that it's just the the kind of walk of life that you know no one kind of escapes it and that's the way that i kind of see things now so yeah just interested to get your, your thoughts on all that ryan do you see things the same way do you think that all of this is just i guess an opportunity to learn that's something we just, we just all ha- had to face to actually kind of transcend and come out the other side of it or how do you um like what's your perspective on it now um i think you could say that perspective that view is always like a Way, different way to look at it from a positive side and I think like I said as a society we have become too comfortable with a lot of things like to the smallest things now can like, break people like whereas yeah I suppose you do need that right of passage I think I've seen a few people talk about that that's missing from a lot of people's lives growing up now like we're wrapped up in cotton wool and we've been so comfortable for so long people don't realise like the mental resolve it takes to get through a bit of struggle um, and I think maybe we did need it maybe this is it maybe we're in the hard times now and this is where the strong men are created and i suppose the ones that will come out the other side that pass the lessons on are the stronger people so i suppose (laughs) yeah you could look at it that way and it's like even though it might seem like we're going to go through a hard time for the next few years it's like well who's going to come out the other side and i suppose it's always the best thing is like well what are you going to pass on to the next generation that's they can take forward with them yeah, I remember you saying that actually in the conversation that we had, like, um, I, d- I don't know if it was last year, but it was definitely like quite early on in when I was doing this podcast. And you said, like, part of this whole process is that, you know, if w- if we don't kind of step up to the role, the, the people who are going to be building the new world, the people who are going to build building this kind of post COVID world after after this huge event has happened, they're going to be just like the same people who kind of put put us in, this, in that mess. They're going to be the same people who made all the wrong decisions, who didn't have any kind of personal, um, I guess, personal belief system, which was kind of like moral and ethical. Like they're not going to be the people doing it. So we had to use that time to be like, okay, like who are the real ones out there? I guess, um, you know, and. And now, hopefully, like we've kind of developed some kind of a 
I guess just like a social network, it's kind of social consensus network of some kind where we're just like, okay, like I trust these people's opinion. I trust their values. Like, um, I think that's hugely important. What do you reckon, Mike? Yeah, I agree. I think that's probably been the the most hopeful part of everything is seeing people go off on those self-discovery journeys where we've started to uh, look more inwards about what we can do to change ourselves and taking that responsibility almost like saying, well, everything's gotten really messy out there but maybe maybe i've got to take some responsibility for it even though of course it's not us that are doing it but if you don't take that radical personal responsibility and accept that you have a role to play in fixing it and therefore maybe we do have a responsibility maybe we always lacking resting our on our laurels you know maybe we was a little bit and you know i'm not saying we judge ourselves harshly but i just think as a i guess as a society we have been doing that for too long because you know, we got convinced by consumption and materialism and, you know, living the good life. But I think it's now time to actually, no, take a bit of hardship and take that stress. And if you've got the capacity to do it, to help other people, you know, and, you know, Ryan, you've got a great uh, Twitter feed. You're always trying to put positive stuff out there. And I've said to you a few times, you know, that actually is really helpful on a Twitter algorithm yeah. that's always trying to bring you down to have somebody out there that's that's doing that. And he's not sucking getting sucked into the um, the negativity, which is everywhere. It's so easy to do that. And that's what sells as well. I'm sure you know that, Ryan, that if you put loads of negative stuff out there, you'd probably get a lot more interaction, especially these days, than the positive stuff. But we need that positive stuff. Um, we need people like yourself, Johnny, who are trying to put out hopeful and inspiring content. Uh, there's plenty of stuff out there that's dark and black pill and yeah it's it's not my thing and i don't think it's any of us mm-hmm. here i don't think that's our thing we're all trying to do something else yeah i i, I completely agree mike like it is just super important to kind of like be maintaining that that positive message and stuff like especially especially now you know especially now like i think there's just there is just so much like darkness out there and it doesn't really like help stuff so always appreciate um the message that you're both putting out there because you you know you two are both like definitely like positive people who are just not stuck in the in the doom and gloom and stuff which is you know one of the reasons that i like talking to you and i'm glad to have kind of brought you on today and uh and uh yeah i really appreciate you coming and giving me your, your time just before we go there's one thing i want to ask both of you because you both touched on this um now ryan you're doing the whole cold shower thing mike you take some kind of crazy like ice jacuzzi out out <laughs> in your garden what is this what is this thing about like how ha- ha- like this whole, you know, cold shower, ice bath, ice bath thing. What's behind it all? What's the what's the theory behind it? Is it just a, a health thing, or is it kind of like a mental thing that you put yourself through suffering and you 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 know you become a, a stronger person? It's been both. Like, I come across it with the, with the whole Wim Hof thing a couple of years back, and I think it's got loads of various different health benefits from your immune system, even to like your better hair and everything like that. But also, I think it is that mental resolve. Like you get up in the morning, you're like, I don't can't. Nine times out of ten, you're still tired when you wake up. You jump mm-hmm. in this freezing cold cherry, and then you just you you're just good to go at that point. It just wakes you right up. Do <laughs> you actually do thing. it every single every every day without fail? It's a cold shower. Pretty much, it's a, unless I'm like rushing around because I've I have woken up late and the kids need to get something for school. But like that is a rare occasion. I think ninety nine percent of the time I do it. The other thing I want to do now, like I said, I've not really done the ice bath too much because it's getting the so I need to get like an outdoor tub that's like keeps regulated on its temperature so I can just like jump in without having to go out and buy the ice and pour it all in. Mike, I guess I guess you're uh 
it's the it's the weather for it right now in Poland, isn't it? You got your your ice jacuzzi ready to go. I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah it yeah. is. I had the first one a few weeks back, but yeah, I started doing it years ago when I was an athlete. So I started doing it for recovery for my legs after running. So I'd run a lot, and then you know recovery was always difficult, especially when you was doing like back to back big weeks, which was every month pretty much. So, uh, so I started. What I started doing was actually uh, after I run, I'd get in a lake. So it wasn't quite ice water or cold. Then I started doing the cold showers as well. And I found, like Ryan said, it's that kind of mental aspect. Like the way that I always said it to myself was if the first thing I do in the morning is get, get that cold shower, it's like I've already done something hard for the day. Like I've kind of toughened myself up for the day. Like something's out the way that's already difficult. And that's just that mental boost in the morning that... Yeah, it's you know, I mean, you've already done something difficult and it kind of sets you off right, I think. And once I came to Poland, there's actually a whole culture here of getting in the ice water over winter. It's called Mosavania, which is a uh, mossy is like a sea lion. So, yeah. And once you get to like late autumn and it starts to get cold, people gather at lakes and some if you're near the sea, you go to the sea and there's a whole clubs. It's like a whole scene. There's like every city has a club. And uh, people just go and do the cold water bathing together and it kind of gets you uh, ready for winter. So once you get to like minus 10, minus 20, you've already built up that cold tolerance. So it feels much less colder than it should do. And the other thing as well is respiratory health. So I found that since I came to Poland and started doing this, I've never got a winter cold or flu. So all throughout the last three years, I just never got it. And every year in the UK, I did get it. So uh, I don't know if that's, the only reason like I can't just say it was definitely that but that was like rare for me so yeah just all of it you know that's kind of the extra element that I found in Poland that I didn't have in the UK is that community aspect so you know doing it together in the UK it was always just by myself but it's actually really good fun if you can find people to do it with it kind of spares you on and uh makes for, you know you can make new friends from doing it so yeah it's a, it's a really fun fun activity Okay, fair enough, fair enough. I, I, I got to say, Mike, I'm, uh, my one reservation about coming to visit you in Poland is that you're going to put me in that uh, that freezing cold jacuzzi <laughs> you got outside. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I totally would as well. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, I think you would too. All right, cool. Um, actually, you know what I'm going to do? Because I, I always forget to do this at the end of podcasts. And I always used to do it, and then I've kind of like forgotten lately. Normally, I used to ask my guests to give us a some kind of parting words of uh, of wisdom and parting words of positivity so um first of all first of all just um let people know where they can find you and then give us some some parting words of positivity for my for my listeners uh starting with you ryan uh yeah you can find me on obviously twitter or x or whatever you want to call it these days also the same handle on minds and same parting words of wisdom is don't get black pills like if there's always hope out there and there's still plenty of people that want to do the right thing. So just, yeah, always try and look for the better in people rather than the worst. Don't let the chaos in the world mess everything else up in your life. Nice. Love it. And Mike? Yeah, you can find me on um, parallelmike.com or you can just search for my podcast on any podcast app, which is the Parallel Mike podcast. And we get into a whole range of stuff on there from natural health, but there's a lot of spirituality too. I do have a YouTube channel, Parallel Systems Broadcast, which is more about finance. And also, yeah, I'm on Twitter, Parallel underscore Mike. And parting words is, uh, I think Ryan put it best, is, yeah, just, you know, be hopeful throughout all of this. 
all of the things that are going to happen are going to happen anyway. So you may as well try and live well throughout it. You know, we could sit and stare at all of the, the darkness that's out there. Or we can get on with living. You know, we've still got our own individual lives to live. We've still got our own families to provide for and take care of. So focus on that. Focus on yourself and your community. And, uh, I, you know, I think we'll I think we can all have a great life, irrespective of what happens outside of our little world. But it does require us to take action. You have to step up and take action in your own life. Nice. Yeah. And that's definitely something that you guys have been doing. So keep keep uh, going out there and spreading the positivity and educating and doing what you guys do. Really appreciate you coming on. And yeah, have a great Christmas. Thank you, Johnny. Thanks for having us on. Cheers, Johnny.